got our first two-time winner in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2021. This is The Money Stop, and alongside Cole Cusimano, my name is Steven. In our eighth race of 2021 in the Cup Series, Martin Truex Jr. and the number 19 team became the first to win twice this past weekend at the rain-postponed race at Martinsville, which took place on Sunday. Cole, initial reactions to this event. I mean, Vintage Martinsville, I, I'd say for this point in time, it was pretty solid. I mean, the good and the bad canceled out. The first two stages was pretty much Hamlin and Blaney going back and forth. The 11 was good on the short run, 12 was good on the long run, and that was pretty subpar anticlimactic racing. Just, uh, you know, a, a lot of biding their time. It's a long race. So uh, nothing really picked up until the final stage. As always, intensity ramped up. Tempers were hot. Bumpers were being used. And we had caution after caution. It was a parking lot for red, a red flag, which took out a lot of really, really good cars. And the day was capped off with a costly pit penalty by Ryan Blaney on the money stop for removing an air hose from his box. And this allowed Shurex to pounce and take advantage of Hamlin on those long run woes. And uh, yeah, we have our first repeat winner of 2021. Now, simple question, and we'll get into more about what happened this weekend and what it means going forward, but simple question right off the bat. Is Martin Truex Jr. the championship favorite at this point in time? He very well could be. I mean, he won Martinsville and Phoenix, both tracks that Chase won at in 2020 to end the season, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. Um, maybe once we get to Coda in May, but for the time being, he's kill he's killing it. Um Leading laps, getting stage points, as we mentioned, first repeat winner. Absolutely, in my opinion, he's the favorite as it stands. And it's so tough to tell right now because it has been such a fun season with so many different contending teams, different drivers who are, you know, winning this early on in the year, um, you know, earlier than what we were expecting. And uh, Martin Truex Jr. is one of those guys who certainly is one of the favorites. You've got Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and guys like that sort of waiting in the wings until they turn it up during the summer, uh, so it's tough to say right now, but with him being the first two-time winner this year, um, it certainly looks like he's the favorite, and by the way, back-to-back -back short track wins for Martin Truex Jr., that is something to keep an eye on, because he started out his short track career 0 for 80, and then these past two years, 5 and 11 on short tracks, so that is something, you know, to chew on going forward. His only two wins this year have come on short tracks, and as many diehard NASCAR fans know, there aren't enough short tracks on the circuit. So I think we're going to start to see, as we talked about in one of our first episodes, the guys who are really strong on the road courses are going to really take control this year. So as you said, once we get to Coda, does Martin Truex Jr.'s number 19 team fizzle out at that point? And I think that's when we're really going to start to see. We've gone to all these different types of tracks, super speedways, short tracks, intermediates, road courses. We're going to see the cream sort of rise to the top at that point, And that's when I can really pick a championship favorite. But it's tough to say. I mean, we haven't gotten a full feel for the second stint of racing yet. Now, focusing on the Gibbs stable, how about Denny Hamlin? I just cannot believe he has not won a race yet. It's actually, at what point does it become comical? Eight races, he has had a top three car in, I, I might even say, every single race this year. and He does not have a win yet somehow. And so it just kind of feels like the floodgates are about to open. But it's also... A little bit ironic because this season can almost be looked at as a microcosm for his career. He is, by my money, the greatest driver of all time to not win a championship. And, you know, he's contending for wins every week and they just keep slipping out of his grasp. And again, uh, you know, going back to my predictions, this is probably the third or fourth time this year that I have had my race winner lose the lead within the last 10 laps. So it's almost like 
it feels like it's bad luck, but, you know, Denny Hamlin has got to be a championship four favorite right now, irregardless of the fact that he has not won a race. Just a surreal year thus far. Back-to-back third-place finishes. Still only one finish outside the top five through eight races. And Insane. that's absolutely ridiculous. You're just waiting for him to go on like a three-race win streak. <laughs> that's how I feel anyway. And you know, with the way JGR is performing, it's, it's, I think it's, it's kind of likely. Because look at this next crop of races coming up. You have Richmond. You have Talladega. You have Kansas, Darlington. All tracks that he excels at and Joe Gibbs Racing excels at. So I, I think that this is going to be a great stretch for that Toyota camp and Denny Hamlin specifically. You mentioned it. It was pretty much the Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, and Martin Truex Jr. show at Martinsville. Let's run through the top 10 finishers of this race, followed by Truex. Finishing runner-up Chase Elliott with a strong performance. We've kind of been waiting for him to really shape into form as the summer heats up, and we're starting to see it, I believe. Denny Hamlin ended up third. William Byron finished fourth. We talked so many times, or at least I did, throughout the past month that these top tens are going to become top fives inevitably, even at tracks that he is not known for being a contender at or a great performer at. And he comes out fourth in in this uh, showing at Martinsville. Kyle Larson, fifth, so 300 cars out of the top five finishers. Joey Logano, sixth. Christopher Bell, seventh. Tyler Reddick with a strong performance in eighth. Kevin Harvick, ninth. And Kyle Busch rounded out the top ten. Who sticks out to you out of this crop, Cole? Um, So two guys. First off, Kyle Larson, I, you know, I didn't expect him to have really a slump or a stretch where he was kind of like slowing down after he had that abysmal day at Bristol Dirt. Um, I think that having that off week, it was kind of festering in him, and you know, he got another top five finish out of it. So those thoughts of him maybe slowing down could be put to rest. Didn't have a dominant car, but you know, he was good nonetheless. Top five finish. He actually and- put it into good perspective on his Instagram. He said. Anytime I come to what I think is my worst track, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, anytime I come to what I think is my worst track and I can come away with a top five, I consider that a win. And it's true. I mean, you don't consider Martinsville to be one of Kyle Larson's better tracks, but, you know, finishing fifth at a track you typically don't perform well at is, is a victory, especially in a season where you're trying to establish yourself as a championship contender. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know what? I was going to say just two, but looking at this list, I'm going to name a couple more, so... Uh, Tyler Reddick, he's riding back-to-back top 10s. You know, this could be what he needs to, you know, find his footing and, and string together some really good runs. He needs it, you know. He, he's struggling right now in the standings. I think he sits uh, 22nd, so he has some work to do. And that's, that's you know, it, it's a tough climb, so And, and it's it. also puzzling because it's not like RCR hasn't had speed this year. We've seen Austin Dillon as a top 10 contender every single week, so it is a little bit confusing when you look at the season Tyler Reddick is coming off of compared to how he is performed right now. And, you know, if you're a Tyler Reddick fan, you just got to hope that these first eight races, he's kind of just been warming up. And then this race at Martinsville that just happened is sort of, uh, you know, leading into the Tyler Reddick of old, and by old meaning last year. Yep, no doubt. And then the other guys I'm going to mention are Kevin Harvick. (laughs) Another just really, really puzzling subpar day running around the top 15. I think he almost went a lap down at one point. Still able to muster up a top 10, but that's the name of Kevin Harvick's game. He's he's a, a workhorse. He's one of the best to ever do it. And, you know, he, he rallies and gets another top 10. Same can be said for uh, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch had, like, a top 15 car all day, I'd say. Rebounding to get a top 10. And that's something we've seen all year where he'd run around that spot. He'd a top 5, top 10. So, and then, I guess going off of that, I, men- I keep mentioning JGR. I feel like a broken record here. But all four cars, top 10. And we're going to a, a, a Toyota playground, basically, in, in Richmond this week. 
So I just think that they're poised for a really, really strong stretch of racing here. Absolutely. And, you know, the storyline coming out of this weekend, at least primarily, is first two-time winner. It's Martin Truex Jr. And Joe Gibbs Racing has kind of become the team to beat over the first eight races of the season with some uh, very stiff competition in Hendrick Motorsports and Team Penske. But another big storyline coming out of this weekend is what happened in the Xfinity Series race. Josh Berry with his first career NASCAR National Touring Series win on Sunday afternoon. I mean, Cole, before this season started, I would say that about 80% of NASCAR fanatics didn't even know who Josh Berry was. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes out here, offers him a ride on a part-time basis in the Xfinity Series for his team. He does nothing but excel in the first six or seven races of the year, not all of which he even raced in. So I think he raced in four or five before this. But, you know, in this race at Martinsville. He comes out to one of the most difficult tracks to win at, and in, what was it, his sixth or seventh career start in the series, he comes away with the win. I mean, how much can you say about what this guy has come and what he has done in the Xfinity series this year? Unbelievable, man. And you know, Josh Berry is a hell of a driver. He's a guy that Dale Jr. saw a lot of potential in, and that inclination that he saw was correct, obviously. This was a win for NASCAR. It was a win for grassroots racing. Just so much raw emotion, reminiscent for me of when Dale Jr. actually won at Martinsville in 2014, ironically. And he said this this win brought him to tears like no other victory before, which speaks volumes, you know. He put a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in this driver and Josh Berry, and it, it came to fruition. But um, Martinsville does that to people. It brings out every emotion, whether it be anger, elation. It's just such a difficult track that rewards, and we saw that exactly on Sunday. And it's crazy. We just see time and time again, Dale just has... Such an eye for talent at, you know, any level of racing that would translate to stock cars. Looking back on Brad Keselowski back in, what, 2008 when he had a ride for JRM. Uh, even William Byron, or more on the five, six, seven years ago side. And then Josh Berry, a guy who had no ties really to stock car racing, uh, you know, later in his life. And here he comes and, and just starts winning races in the Xfinity Series. And I would go out on a limb and say... It's probably not his last win of the year because he has run so well on so many different occasions. Now, the hot topic coming out of that win was, does Josh Berry deserve a playoff waiver? Because I just mentioned he is a part-time driver. He races for one of the premier teams in the Xfinity series, and it's kind of been a 50-50 topic amongst the industry. So, Cole, what is your opinion on whether or not Josh Berry does deserve a playoff waiver? <clears throat> well, so here's my take on the playoff waiver. And before I get into that, I want to bring up Ty Gibbs, because Ty Gibbs, another top five performance. So he's come out three races, a win, runner-up, and fourth place. Unreal. He is a superstar. We've seen more than enough, and it's incredible watching him race. Like, I look forward to this every time he's announced on the entry list. It's must-see TV. It's like a, a high-profile event. Just so great for our sport. But anyway, so I'm going to take two parts to this. So there's the Berry part and the Gibbs part. As far as the playoff waiver goes, I think certain parameters have to be in place, like a certain amount of races run, stage points, laps led, wins obviously, and I guess where you're running in the race, and maybe average that out. Um, so it, for Berry and Gibbs, Berry has been a top 10 car all year, obviously has the win, and he's run in all but one race. I think that in itself should allow him to contend for the playoffs. We don't know what his schedule looks like because the eight cars shared between Miguel Paluto and Sam Mayer coming up here shortly. So those opportunities could dwindle down, but they also could increase. You never know. And then as far as Gibbs goes, 
Um, it's a tad more tricky only because, yes, he he's, has the win. He has nothing but top five finishes, but he's only run three of eight races. So that is a little bit hard to judge. But at the same time, I think both these guys, Gibbs specifically, is outrunning guys like Riley Herbst, Michael Lynette. And he's 15th in the standings, only running three races. And <laughs> that's, that's insane. And, and Riley Herbst is 14th. So I really do believe that these both these guys, they deserve a fair shot at running for the championship. And I think NASCAR should and will ultimately do something um, once they do some examining. It'll be great for our sport in terms of those underdog stories everyone loves while rewarding uh, success. Well, I like what you initially said. I don't necessarily think that this should be a subjective topic. I don't think NASCAR should make this decision based on opinion. I think that they should instate some sort of a criteria in terms of exactly like you said, amount of points, stage points. There has to be some sort of uh, parameter based on the amount or percentage of races that they have run out of the ones that have been on the circuit. So, you know, I, I think that that is something that it's going to open the conversation for that, for the NASCAR Rules Committee. And we'll see what happens. In the case of Ty Gibbs, though, he hasn't declared to run for points. As far as I'm concerned, he should be able to collect points in the Xfinity Series, and NASCAR should allow him to see where it takes him. With that being said, you know, he is not necessarily guaranteed a ride in all 10 playoff races. So it gets a bit tricky there with these part-time drivers, but you know they do need to maybe think about some sort of a, a criteria uh, to enlist going forward in these types of situations, I think. But let's turn the page to Richmond. We talked all about Martinsville and what came of that. We're on to another short track, the third shortest on the circuit, three-quarter mile Richmond International Raceway. And Cole, let's start by talking about um, our favorite memory or memories from Richmond. And I'll start by saying, in my opinion, Richmond has not been the most memorable track for me. Uh, I always looked at it as the race that precedes the NASCAR playoffs or the chase as it used to be called and um, that was what I always looked forward to and growing up the Jimmy Johnson fan I was it was always a very comfortable track knowing that for the most part Jimmy was locked into the playoffs at that point later into the fall um, but if I had to think of a memory I think back to 2008 the year I started watching NASCAR and a few weeks after um, the Richmond race that took place in the spring and any NASCAR fan who remembers that that was when Dale Earnhardt Jr., racing for Hendrick Motorsports, spun out Kyle Busch in that pedigree number 18 car. I was not watching NASCAR at that point in time. I was not a fan, but I recall throughout the summer, they were replaying that on all of the different channels, TNT and ESPN, and everywhere else that NASCAR was being aired. And I remember thinking to myself so often that, you know, this is such a great sport. I wish that I had been watching NASCAR at that point earlier in time. I wish I had gotten onto NASCAR earlier in my life, and that was sort of a race that I look back on as one that I wish I was watching in real time, and there's a lot of moments in NASCAR history that I wish I was a NASCAR fan for, and that's just, when I think of Richmond, even though that was a race I didn't watch, that is one that it sticks out to me as a fun short track event, and two of the most popular or divisive drivers in the sport, depending on how you look at it, uh, duking it out for a win at Richmond. I couldn't agree more. Like, as you mentioned, I... I don't have many, like, physical racing memories or moments from Richmond, aside from, you know, that infamous one between Dale Jr. and Kyle Busch. But I do have one coming to mind right now, actually. Um, so, actually, the that same year in the fall, when they ran that race, Dale Jr. kind of got some payback in that green Amp 88 car and spun out Kyle Busch uh, in that race. And that was, uh, that was a fun one for me, being a Dale Jr. fan back in the day. But other than that, I, I think you summed it up perfectly. 
we weren't really fans at the time that, that the initial incident happened, so that's got to be my number one memory from Richmond is when Dale got his revenge. And I would be crazy not to mention, you know, we both started watching NASCAR almost halfway through the 2008 season, a little bit before that, I would say maybe after the first quarter. The race that Jimmy Johnson won at Richmond in 2008 was one of the first races that I ever saw him win. So that's definitely a memory that sticks out for me personally. But, you know, moving on to modern day Richmond. Nickel or dime, let's talk about what these cars are going to look like on the track this week. And I'm going to start off by saying this is one of the better weeks for paint schemes, I feel like. Um, you know, my favorite color is blue, that's been well documented. And there aren't a ton of blue cars this week. And the fact that I still think that this is a great weekend for paint schemes speaks volumes about what we're looking at on our graphic right now, which you can find on all of our social media accounts at the underscore money stop to get a visual about the paint schemes that we're talking about. And I will start by giving my dime to the 37 of Ryan Priest. That is his second dime in a row for JTG Doherty Racing. It's got blue and orange. And again, I'm a sucker for blue and orange cars, paint schemes, you name it. If it's on there, it's going to be a dime for me. And... We talked about the 2B car that Ross Chastain ran a few weeks ago. Well, Kurt Busch is running almost an identical paint scheme. I think that car looks great. And then lastly, while it's not, I guess, a uh, special paint scheme, Martin Truex Jr.'s car that he's running this week, I believe it's the auto owner's insurance car. I have always loved that paint scheme, so I just kind of wanted to give it a shout out. I love the, the different shades of blue fading into one another. And I will throw one more in here. Spire Motorsports has been on it with the paint schemes this year. The one that Corey LaJoy is running out, Schluter Systems, looks great. It looks like a, almost a, a vintage Jeff Gordon Flames car, just with a different color scheme. I think that looks really cool. That's a pretty cool one, yeah. My number one dime is going to the 37 of Ryan Priest. As you mentioned, the blue and orange looks awesome. Let's go Mets. Three-game win streak as it stands right now. Uh, so... Yeah, that, that's an awesome-looking car. Um, my second dime is going to go to actually Bubba Wallace in the 23. They've been killing it with the paint scheme game this mm -hmm. year. It is the Root Insurance, I believe, car. And it's it's uh, black and orange. I'm a big Halloween guy, so it's kind of reminds me of Halloween. But it's actually similar to Ryan Priest's. It has, like, these, uh, these kind of spread-out lines around the car um, going down the side of it. It's really nice. Um, and then my third dime... I guess I'll give it to Kurt Busch in the Tubi car. I think that color palette's really, really nice. It really popped on um, Ross Chastain's 42, and I expect more of the same for the number one car. Now, shifting to Nichols. There's a few here. I, I <laughs> This car's been run numerous times. I respect the uh, initiative with the Red Nose Day thing from CVS or Walgreens, but the Kyle Busch car. Kyle Busch's Red Nose Day... Uh, M&M's car is not my favorite. It has the, the classic yellow base with the red M&M's all, all around the car. Just not a fan of the colors. Not a fan of how it looks. Uh, not for me. And then I'm going to give one more nickel out to uh, Ross Chastain's McDonald's car. I always say less is more. This one's not doing enough at all, in my opinion. And it just looks very, very lazy, especially in comparison it, to Bubba Wallace's McDonald's I was, was going to say, yes. Compared to Bubba Wallace's, this one is complete garbage. I just don't know, like, what it what if any effort went into this. Because you have, like, 
half of the top arches of a McDonald's logo yeah. by the front wheel I, well. I don't get it at all. <laughs> There's like a gigantic McDonald's logo by the rear wheel well, and that's about it. So, I, I don't know. Shout out to the Oscar Mayer car for Ryan Newman. That's a really cool looking car. It's got mustard squiggles on it, bacon. It, it's really representative of the sponsor. Cool. And I do want to touch on um, 2311 Racing real quick as well, because this team has been so good for the sport in so many different ways. And I just like that they're bringing sort of a more uh, trendy perspective and outlining to the sport with their paint schemes. Because you look at any other sport that is sort of up and coming with younger generations, namely something like the NBA. They are always rolling out new uniforms that look appealing to fans and that sort of thing. And it's kind of the same thing with 2311 Racing. They have all these big name brand sponsors and they keep rolling out awesome paint schemes in you know very good and, and innovative ways on social media in a way that I think connects well with the younger and, and I guess up-and-coming NASCAR fan base. So shout out to 2311 Racing for the way that they have unveiled their paint schemes and how nice they have all looked. So shouts out to them. Now, moving over to the starting lineup for this race, the Toyota Owners 400. Ironically enough, uh, like you said, kind of a Toyota playground at Richmond. I don't know how ironic that actually is, but here's the starting lineup as it pertains to the top 10. Starting on the pole, Martin Truex Jr., followed by Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, and William Byron roll off third and fourth. Joey Logano, fifth. Kyle Larson, sixth. Ryan Blaney, seventh. Christopher Bell, eighth. Kevin Harvick, ninth. And Kyle Busch, the winningest active driver at Richmond, rolls off 10th. For other notable starting positions, 15th, we got Bubba Wallace in that really cool-looking root insurance car. 20th is Brad Kozlowski, the most recent winner here at Richmond. Led 192 laps, just dominated that race. Uh, behind him is Eric Amarola in 22nd, which I gotta fact-check this, but it could be one of his higher starting positions all year. 24th, Alex Bowman, he's been struggling this year a bit. He's had some strong showings here and there, but no consistency at all. 27th, Daniel Suarez. 30th, Eric Jones. And 38th, making his third cup start, Austin Sindrick. Now, clearly, like you just said, the favorites are going to be Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr. for obvious reasons. But thinking past those top two, who are some of the more, I guess, non-obvious guys that are going to contend in this race? Well, first off, I don't want to say Kislowski is a favorite, to be honest with you. He's kind of been been slumping lately. I, don't th I think he hasn't finished above 17th the last two weeks. But, I mean, history will tell you that Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Brad Kozlowski and Kevin Harvick will be your, your top guys. I mean, Kyle Busch, as you mentioned, winning his active driver at Richmond with six, tied for third all-time, best average finish of 6.8, and 23 top tens, which is second among active drivers, and 1,488 laps led, which is also second among active drivers. Um, and then looking at, at more condensed kind of uh, statistics, over the last three years, so five races, he's got two wins, five top tens, 431 laps led and a 3.6 average finish, which is the best among active drivers. Uh, Truex, two wins, four top tens, 579 laps led and a 4.2 average. Brad Kozlowski, as we mentioned, the win in 2020, five top tens, which is tied for first along with Kevin Harvick. Uh, 370 laps led, a 5.8 average. And then Kevin Harvick, 119 laps led, fifth place average. So, Looking at those four drivers specifically, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Kyle Busch and Truex are the top guys from that that bracket. Um, without a doubt, I think that all four Gibbs cars, in addition to Bubba Wallace, are going to finish top 10 or borderline top 10 in the number 23's case. 
this could be the, the week, man. This could be the week where Denny Hamlin breaks out, Kyle Busch breaks out. I think for sure, no doubt in my mind, a Gibbs car will win this week. And here's what I will say. Yes, Kislowski dominated the last race at Richmond. And for the most part, Penske just killed it with that 750 horsepower, uh, flat, short track, low downforce package. They were the cream of the crop. But towards the end of the year, we saw Hendrick and Gibbs kind of catch on. Obviously, Chase won at Phoenix. Truex finished second at Richmond. Um, and, you know, you saw guys like Denny Hamlin, obviously, run really well at those tracks. So, and then again, this year, Phoenix, Truex won. You saw uh, Kyle Larson all the Hendrick guys, all the Gibbs guys really go out there and perform. So it's going to be tough to tell only because you don't have three races like Phoenix to tell who is, you know, really competitive at this track with that new package. You only have the one to go off of. So my gut's telling me that it's going to be like we've seen all year. Gibbs, Penske, and Hendrick all in the top 10 with Gibbs ultimately coming out on top. And that really would be a perfect segue into our next and final segment which is take it to the bank. We want to make you some money. Here are our race predictions as well as our DFS lineup recommendation. Beginning with our race predictions. Cole, I went first last week, so you have the honors this week. Um, This, well, I mean, it's, it's not easy because I, I do firmly believe a Gibbs car will win this week. It's just a matter of who. I'm mulling between Truex going on a two-race win streak and Denny Hamlin. I'm going to go with your previous pick in Denny Hamlin. I think that this is the race where he breaks out, and I think he goes on a tear from here. Uh, Denny Hamlin is my pick to win. As for my sleeper, I'm going to go with someone who I feel like hasn't been mentioned a lot in a positive light on the show, Eric Amarola. Um, he finished eighth here in 2020. I think that Stuart Haas Racing, they're, they're in dire need of, of a strong run from all four cars, or at least someone other than Kevin Harvick, and I think that, you know, they're going to follow off those notes from last year, and I think they can put together a pretty decent, respectful finish. First of all, good picks on your part. I was kind of fiddling around with the same two drivers for those two picks. I ended up going a different direction, but first, I do want to preface this by saying, you know, when it comes to thinking about race picks or fantasy or betting for NASCAR at Richmond, you kind of alluded to it. You can look at this previous race at Phoenix and sort of get an idea for the guys that are going to run well under this package at Richmond this week. That being said, I do definitely think it's going to be a, a Joe Gibbs racing car that wins this race. However, I don't think it's going to be as convincing as what maybe the storyline dictates going into this week. I think that Hendrick Motorsports is going to factor into this. Yeah. I have a great feeling about Kyle Larson this week. I have a great feeling about Chase Elliott. Um, and really, we, you know, with all those guys starting up front, I, I feel very confidently that they are going to run well and contend for the win but with that being said I am going with a Joe Gibbs racing driver and you know it's really tough to not go with Martin Truex Jr. here but I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say Kyle Busch breaks out of his bit of a slump you know he has run better as of recently but when I'm speaking on a slump I'm, I'm talking about really the last year and a half all of 2020 and then a good part of 2021 I think you could probably argue he has been the fourth best Joe Gibbs car on a lot of weeks, um, kind of fighting for that third best title with Christopher Bell. But, you know, he is so good at this track historically. I think that, you know, he's run a little bit better as of recently. And I think this could be the week where he finally does break out, especially if it's a race where, you know, there's a little bit of mayhem involved, where we see some of the top contenders, um, you know, get in, in incidents like Truex or Hamlin or Chase Elliott. If any of those guys have problems 
albeit with crashes, uh, accidents, pit stops, you name it, I think Kyle Busch is going to be in a position to capitalize this week. For my sleeper, I'm going to go with a guy who has really established himself as, you know, a potential playoff contender this year, and we've mentioned his name on almost every podcast so far this year, but not yet on this episode, and that is Daniel Suarez. He is starting 27th this week for Trackhouse Racing, and historically, um, he has run seven races here in his NASCAR Cup Series career, and he's got a top 15 average finish. He's in the top 10 as far as average finishing positions go for um, active drivers at Richmond, and combining that good history at this track along with the fact that he has run well this year and seems to be in a, a scenario and a situation there at Trackhouse that he's extremely comfortable in, I think he's going to be poised for a good uh, race this week. And starting deep in the pack really doesn't concern me too much as long as he doesn't fire off to a slow start. That's obviously the concern if you're picking a guy like Daniel Suarez to potentially be in your fantasy lineup because it is a short track. And if he does not get off to a quick start, he could quickly be trapped a lap down, and we know how that works. So, provided that he's able to pass some of these quote-unquote lesser drivers, Chase Briscoe, Ryan Priest, um, guys who, on occasion, who have not run as well as he has um, at points this year, I think Daniel Suarez could very well be in a position to contend for another top 10 this week. And not to mention, he's fired up after last week in Martinsville. He threw his water bottle at William Byron after that big uh, red flag... I think 12 car pile up. So and that just shows you, he felt like he had a chance to do something in that race. And it's, it's so crazy to say with this new team, but every week it feels like that team believes that they can win right from the very start at the opening press conference. They said their goal was to make the playoffs and win races. And that is clearly the expectation. You know, you don't react like that. If you aren't genuine, genuinely believing that you got taken out of a chance to win the race. Oh yeah. No question. And Real quick, I do want to mention, you You brought up, brought up a great point in that you don't think there's going to be a dominant car. And I, I truly believe the same thing. I think we're going to see more of the same of what we saw at Phoenix in a sense that it's not your traditional short track. You know, it's, it's not quite a mile, but it's a, a, a three-quarter mile track. And racing tends to get strung out, and there's a lot of opportunities for passing. Uh, green flag runs tend to, to draw out, so... I think that it's going to be a, a very a very even-keeled race between those top three teams in Penske, Gibbs, and Hendrick. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I, I do believe that. And it takes a lot for that to come from me because I'm not <laughs> Richmond's biggest fan and how their racing's been over the last couple years. But, you know, I think it's going to be a good race. I do. Well, as a spectator, part of what makes the race good to you is if you're placing a DFS bet and your lineup is doing pretty good. And we've had some... Good lineups this year. I think the past couple of weeks, our lineups have kind of been derailed by uh, incidents that happened on the track, so there's really not much you can do about that. But with that, let's move on to our DFS lineup recommendation for this week. The most expensive driver in our lineup is going to be Kyle Busch, and he is on the back end of that top tier of drivers, mainly because, you know, again, he's in sort of a long-term slump here, but he's starting 10th. I love picking drivers that start in the moderate positions there between 8th to 14th. That is, you know, one of the most underrated strategies in DFS lineup picking, in my opinion. And, oh, by the way, it does not hurt that he is the active winningest driver at Richmond. So as, as far as I'm concerned, Kyle Busch is a lock in my lineup uh, for DFS this week. Behind him, we also picked Chase Elliott. I think that this past weekend's race at Martinsville with Chase finishing runner-up, was not an anomaly. Going into last weekend's race, we talked on the Money Stop about how, specifically, I thought Chase Elliott was going to turn it up starting at Martinsville, and 
He just has a knack for heating up in the summer months. And we saw what he did last year. When he is on a roll, he gets on a roll. He is one of the hardest drivers to beat. And especially in a race where he is starting up front in the top three. I think Chase Elliott is going to be strong this weekend. And again, you don't want to pick too many drivers that are starting up front. And if I had to put my money on one of them, I think it's Chase Elliott, especially because he also is on the back end of that tier one uh, of drivers. You've got Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch, who both kind of serve as, as good bargains as far as that top tier goes. After that, I'll just rattle off the final four that we had. Kurt Busch at 8,300, Christopher Bell at 7,800, Tyler Reddick at 7,200, and Daniel Suarez at 6,600. I'll cap off my little speaking point here by saying I think Daniel Suarez should be a lock as well. Again, good history at this track. He has run well this year. He's starting 27th, so in my opinion, as long as he does not get trapped a lap down, I think Daniel Suarez could be a potential lineup winner this week. Yeah, so no doubt in my mind, Kyle Busch is a guy you got to have in your lineup, regardless. Uh, winningest active driver at Richmond, tied for third all-time, and if he wins this week, he could be second tied all-time on, on that list. Uh, his brother, Kurt, I'm not too keen on, only because he has had a rough stretch over the last five races I don't think he's top. I don't think he has a top ten in that time, and he's been struggling this year too. So it's it's a risk. But of the drivers in that bracket, he was, uh, you know, the, the the most expensive. But it was one of the more expensive. I mean, you've got William Byron and Austin Sindrick. Um, and in my opinion, you you don't want two drivers starting up front as confident as I am in William Byron. And then with Austin Sindrick, you you it's kind of a wild card. He's starting deep in the pack. It could be easy to get lapped. Um, so when you look at that tier of drivers, the ones below Kurt Busch, you've got Al Marola, Benedetto, Eric Jones. It just feels like Kurt Busch is the safest out of that tier. And, you know, you like a guy like Austin Dillon, but he is a little bit cheaper. And you would have a lot of money left over to upgrade. So that's one way you could pivot this lineup. Yeah, I, I would probably mull between Benedetto and uh, Austin Dillon over Kurt Busch. But for the sake of, of, of this lineup and, and cost efficiency, we'll throw him in there. And then uh, Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick finished 11th there in the fall last year, and he's, as we mentioned, he's riding a top 10 streak, so he very well could get another top 10 this weekend. And Christopher Bell, top 10 car each week. I, I firmly believe, as mentioned many times in the show, that JGR is going to be class of the field, and he will get a top 10 as well. And I gotta say, with Christopher Bell and William Byron, those two drivers, are, I feel like, are undervalued every week. They're always between 78 and, like, 8,600, because they're usually starting near the front, and it's almost like the odds makers don't expect them to finish there. But consistently, they do. And we even said it last week. It was like the first week in, you know, several that we had not had Christopher Bell in our lineup. But we said he's probably going to finish top five or top ten. And so I just like, as a, a general rule of thumb, having either one of Christopher Bell or William Byron in your lineup every single week, irregardless of the track... And this particular week, where Christopher Bell is starting deeper in the pack than William Byron, and it is a you know expected at least to be a Toyota show, I think Christopher Bell could be poised for a really solid day at Richmond. Um, that being said, if you feel higher on William Byron, by all means, I I'm pretty confident that he is going to do well this week because we know what we're getting out of him. He's not going to finish outside the top 10 unless there are external circumstances, any other issues out of his control. But if it's a clean race, William Byron and Christopher Bell are going to finish in the top 10. Um, I feel more confident saying that about William Byron, but just in terms of, you know, the drivers that we picked, 
Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, feel safe. And you mentioned Tyler Reddick, another guy who is starting in, in a moderate uh, position. And it's his first time really all year having a decent starting position. So you've got to expect that he might be able to parlay that into a, you know another good finish this week. Anyhow, that is going to do it on this week's edition of The Money Stop. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Feel free to find us on social media at the underscore money stop. We are posting great graphics all week. If you want a visual of our DFS lineup recommendations, our race winner picks, take it to the bank, or you know, look at the pace schemes that we're rating, nickels or dimes. We're posting excellent content, including driver stat cards all week as well. So follow us there and also on our uh, personal accounts, namely uh, Cole at Cole underscore Cusimano underscore. You've got a great piece coming up this week that's already out, actually. Um, and it's a great primer if you're getting ready to watch this Richmond race and, and wanting to get yourself sort of in the mood uh, for what this track is, is going to look like and how it is raced typically. Yeah, this was, I got to say, without a doubt, one of my favorite interviews I've, I've ever done in covering NASCAR. I spoke with Tony Hirschman, Kyle Busch's spotter. He's been with him since 2012. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack from this piece. Uh, it was a blast to tell his story. Uh, they got their first win together at Richmond, but he has a very, very rich history at this track with his father, uh, some other races across NASCAR. Just a really, really awesome story. A really, really great guy. Um, and with that, I, I kind of want to take you through a lap through his eyes at Richmond because, you know, he has three wins here, which is tied for most among active spotter driver pairings at Richmond. He knows his way around this track. He has, like I said, a very rich history. So let's go through a lap with uh, Tony Hirschman at Richmond. You know, you, you can kind of see, uh, you know, Richmond, obviously, as, as the race goes on there, uh, you know, when the tires wear out, it's really, it gets harder to, to really run the bottom. So, you know, to me, and I do a lap, you, you know, turn one, you know, a lot of guys kind of enter a little bit shallower, but... You know, if you, you can, if you're by yourself, you know, cutting a good lap, you can take a nice, nice wide arc into one. And when you get to the bottom, you can, you can see when it's going to be a good lap, like pretty much how you hit the bottom of one, two. That's, that's, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's a trickier end, but, uh, you know, the exit of turn two gets, uh, you know, can get pretty tight. So if you can get, get to the bottom of one, two, and you can roll really good speed through the center and where, where you can get the car pointed, where when you throttle up, you're driving straight off the two off the bottom. Um, you can see that that's going to be a really good lap there. So it's, uh, you know, that kind of sets you up for three, four is how you get through one and two. Um, I, I say that would be the, the trick you're in. So you can, you can tell just by visually and looks like how well they rolled the bottom. They, when they got down to the line, how the car tracked the line and, and how they left turn two, if they left leave straight or, you know, if they're using track up, moving out to the wall or, you know, you get a little bit of free cause you have a lot of wheel in it cause you're a little bit tight in the center. So, um, and then three, four, I said, it's, uh, you can, you can move around in three, four, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun when they hit, when they hit it right, you can tell when it's going to be like, you can kind of shake your head as they're coming to the start finish line. Yeah, that was a really good lap. So, um, but the, the key is you need to do that lap after lap, you know, 40, 50, 60 laps into a run to be able to, you know, to get to the bottom and, and roll a lot of speed, not be on the, not, not be trail breaking you know, trying to keep the, the nose turning. So, um, you know, that's all, you know, car balanced and also how, you know, how well you take care of your cars on the front side of the run. You can, you can run a lot of really fast laps, at, uh, you know, the first 10, 15 laps of a run, but a lot of times you'll pay the price later on. So you got to be smart, you know, when you get a restart, you're, you're racing two by two with people uh, on how hard you really run your stuff. Cause you can get greedy and, you know, that one position that you gain on the front side of a run, that'll cost you, 
four or five later on, you know, 50 laps in. So, um, yeah, I said, you can, you can tell when it, when it's going to be a good lap on just, you know, rolling speed and, and especially when you get out there in the race around other cars, when you see other guys struggling and your stuff is still turning really good and able to drive off straight, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before you be able to drive up underneath them. And that's kind of the way I liked to tease it. It's a perfect way to get ready to watch the Richmond race because you feel like you're there. You feel like you're running a lap around the track and it's a perfect thing uh, to read maybe on the morning of race day or the night before that. So anyhow, that is going to end it on the Money Stop this week. Thank you all again so much for tuning in and we will see you next week with a full recap of the action at Richmond and previewing the upcoming race at, you guessed it, Talladega. Gotta make them wanna come back for more.